find you You will ask What will you do When they find me Don't be scared of yourself Hi, I'm Dawn And I'm Ashley We would like to welcome you to the Work It, You Are Worth It podcast Where two friends sit around and talk about healing, growth, and healthy relationships Good morning, Dawn Good morning, how are you? I'm doing pretty good this morning. How are you? I am great. Great. It's a time change day. So that just totally, I woke up at seven this morning and I'm like, why am I awake? This is way too early. It's seven. What am I? And I forgot it was time change. And I'm like, oh, I'll probably go back to sleep. And I laid there and I'm like, I'm not tired. I don't want to go back to sleep. And then it hit me. Oh yeah, it's time change. So I was up really That's, <laughs> that's so great. I actually... I woke up right around the same time. My clock said 8.15. And I walked out and I looked around and I was like, crap, I need to get going. I got this to do and that. And I grabbed my phone and I looked at my phone and it said 7.15. And I was <laughs> like, wait, wait, it's only 7? I yeah. can sit down and relax for like an hour still. I'm good. <laughs> I know. I like when you, you texted me for to do this, I was like, I are we going to do this? I texted you because I goes. That's what I'm, I'm like, well, shit, I'm going to get coffee. And I grabbed the computer and I edited the podcast we did yesterday. And I'm like, I got all this stuff done this morning. And I'm like, man, I need to get up at seven more often on a Sunday. Heck yeah. Like there was all kinds of extra time that I was not expecting. <laughs> I know. But I guess that's what we needed it for whatever reason. So anyway. That's for sure. Well, so we're going to get back to the control patterns that we did not finish last week. Um, And thankfully, it was daylight savings because I had time this morning to wake up and look over these control patterns. And as I looked over them, I realized how insanely controlling I have been without even realizing it. Again, thank, I, I mean, thank Thank, thankful for Codependence Anonymous, thankful for this podcast and the moments that I could have these awakenings and these realizations, I guess. Um, and at the same time, a little bit like I wasn't quite ready to be slapped in the face with that awareness this morning. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the first, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, the very next six recovery patterns. I'm just going to read them over real quick, the codependent patterns. I'm going to read them over real quick, and then I'm going to describe a little bit of how I have behaved in the last week so that maybe we can correlate those patterns with behaviors that alone, innocuously, do not seem codependent. Um, and like then, that. and then maybe we could run over the re, the recovery pattern side and what it, I wish it would have looked like, or maybe what it will look like next time. Cause you know, we all have patterns and we all slip into it. All right, let's do it. All right. So the next six, <laughs> um, codependents often have to feel needed In order to be in a relationship with others, codependents often demand that their needs be met by others. Codependents often use 
charm and charisma to convince others of their capacity to be caring and compassionate. Codependents often use blame and shame to exploit others emotionally. Codependents often refuse to cooperate, compromise, or negotiate. And codependents often adopt an attitude of indifference, helplessness, authority, or rage to manipulate outcomes. So over the course of the last couple of weeks, I have come to the awareness that I do not feel as though I am getting the communication that I need from one of my relationships. In attempting to get that person to understand what I need and what I'm asking for, let me just be real, in an attempt to get that person to give me what I needed and give me what I was asking for, I realized that I would not be in the relationship with them if they couldn't give me what I needed. Um, Like if I don't feel like I am let in, if I don't feel like they need to be with me, then I, I don't know, I struggled to be with them. I, I struggled to have a relationship with someone who does not need me in any way, shape, or form. Um, I needed them, right? I, I needed, if I'm in a relationship with a person, I need that person to do certain things, to give certain things, or at least I did. And when they couldn't do those things or give me those things, I would begin to demand that those things were, were given. Communication, even just communication. Tell me what you are thinking. I have a right to know what's in your head. And then demand using, I, I mean, of course, we first start with charm. I, I think everybody starts <laughs> with charm, right? Oh, yeah. oh, baby, I love you. I'm here for you. I'm supportive of you. Why don't you share with me? Now give me this. And then when that doesn't work. Right, right, right. So, right, don't you see how much I'm here so that you could then give me what I need? When that doesn't work, then it, it becomes like, using anger right like you're hurting me how dare you do that to me your actions are affecting me therefore it's your fault that I am hurt blame shame right to, to make them give us what we need to make them talk to us make them communicate make them share their thoughts or feelings Right, It's your fault that we're in the position we're in. Our relationship and our struggles and our issues are all because you won't communicate with me. And then to refuse to cooperate, compromise, or negotiate, right? When my anger didn't work, I've given everything I could. I've been nice, and I've been sweet, and I've been kind, and I've been angry, and I've been supportive, and I've been demanding and none of that works so what else do I do I give up right I just I just won't talk anymore I'm just not gonna make dinner anymore I'm just not gonna do your laundry anymore 
or maybe if we're talking about a work situation I'm just gonna start coming in late and I'll just get on my phone or maybe I won't respond to this email whatever it is right in my situation I changed the way I communicated because the per other person wouldn't communicate in the way I wanted, right? So if you're not going to talk to me, fuck, I'm not going to talk to you then. And then when it continues to get worse and it continues to spiral because none of those things work, there's this multiple, actually all of them, an attitude of indifference for a few days, right? Like whatever. I'm done. I give up. I quit. I'm over it. And then that indifference turns to helplessness, which is very quickly followed by rage, right? I can't do anything about it anyway, so why do I care? Now I'm angry that I have to choose not to care, and, I, and I'm angry to get you to, to try to get you to do this differently so that I don't have to choose not to care. Or I don't have to choose to care and, and hurt because you're not giving me what I want. It's insane when I look at it from a, a, a place of control patterns, right? When, when I take myself back to attempting to get him to communicate with me, attempting to get him to quote-unquote let me in, as I have been saying for the last several weeks, there was nothing but manipulation. I mean, it wasn't, not, I can't say that. It wasn't that there was nothing but manipulation because the manipulation and the control that I so clearly see right now as I read these patterns, like I didn't know it was there. It's not what I was trying to do. I was just trying to feel heard. I was just trying to feel loved. I was just trying to feel like someone wanted me and loved me as much as I wanted him and I loved him. And because of the last 38 years of my life and how I have taught myself to react and to respond and things that have worked with other people in the past, I fell back into doing all this stuff before I even realized I was doing it. And then when I did realize I was doing it, I physically could not stop myself from doing it because the only other option was to walk away. The only other option other than using the control patterns was to detach. And if I let go and I drop this rope, then it falls to the ground, and what? We just fall apart? I just lose everything that I've ever wanted? I couldn't do that. I couldn't just let go for so long. I struggled to stop controlling, because to stop controlling meant no longer feeling safe. It meant watching everything I wanted fall apart and not exist anymore. And I didn't want that. That's what control pattern looks like. 
if you're in that cycle where you are trying so hard to make someone see who you are, you are trying so hard to just let them understand how much you love them, you are in a control pattern and you are in a codependent spiral. I know I was. I was, and I'm still in this very moment fighting to get out of it because not having the control patterns, not using the control patterns subconsciously tells me if you don't use them, you are failing. If you don't use them, you are giving up and your daddy didn't raise no quitter. That used to be a joke in our house, but man, did I take that shit to heart. That's funny, the, that the, right, the whole quitter thing, because that's something for me that I've carried with me for so long was like, I would not give up, right? It was survival of the fittest. It was, I was raised to be competitive and second place was a failure. It was a loss, right? There was no second place, right? It was either you win or you lose and giving up is failure exactly and so I hung on to like I had to be the best but what was funny about it that was my mentality but I never gave my 100% best self because if I didn't give my 100% best self well then when I didn't win well, I just didn't give it my all. It's like I had a I had a cop out. Well, I never, yeah, I don't, I never looked at that end of it. I have not gone there yet. As far as like, I think I gave my, I think, I think I've, I'm, I'm different than that, right? When I get, when I do something, I give my all because to not give my all would mean failure in my brain, right? But like, if I got home and I got 100 on a test at school and I didn't do the bonus question and get 101, I would get in trouble because I didn't do the bonus question. I need to go as big as I can and get as much as I possibly can. I did that um, in elementary school, right? I was, was, I'm a very intelligent person. And I was very good in school, in elementary, but nobody cared. Like, right, it wasn't, either it wasn't, it was just flat out not good enough or nobody cared. And as I got, and really it was honestly, nobody cared. Like there was just, it just didn't matter. And there I, was no, there was no, hey, good job. I'm so proud of you. Look how intelligent you are. It just, great. You got a hundred. You were happy for yourself. And that was that. Exactly. So I quickly just realized that I, right, it didn't matter what I gave in school. So I didn't give anything, right? Oh, okay. Well, there's no encouragement. There's no anything. So you know, you get in middle school and you get friends and then you get into high school and friends and it became about other people liking me and 
I just let everything, like school just went to the wayside. I mean, I should have never graduated high school. My GPA was, oh my God, there is no, I don't know how I graduated. But that has nothing to do, like it does not have to do with my, my intelligence. It really honestly was that I just didn't, there was just no encouragement at home. So I didn't real, what, what, what was the point? It was going to go, you know, like I could come home and do something and it would just go, they'd be like, oh, okay, whatever. Right? I remember. Like if you came home with a C, it wasn't any worse than if you came home with an A. Exactly. So why not get a C? Yeah. Well, oh, now I, I can just not study and get a C and it's I get the same response as an A. Right? I mean, so, okay, why would you well study? I just, so I didn't study. And then sports, right? I played every every possible sport you could imagine I played. I lived in a small town. I could ride my bike to practice and play the games in the summertime. Everything was, but my parents never showed up to any games. So I never gave my all. Because I'm looking around and all my friends, their families are in the, in the, in the crowd that, you know, not all of them, but quite a few. And I'm looking, I look in the crowd and I didn't have anybody. My parents didn't travel to go to other games. And so it came cemented in. I don't need to, I'm just half asset. Cause there's nobody there to encourage me to do better. But I don't wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I actually have a question for you. A couple questions for you. I was jotting down while you were talking. So yeah. why do we, or how do we know someone and I'm putting this in quotes because this is the key word, can't give us what we need. I mean, we don't. We don't know whether someone can or can't give us what we need. All we know is if we are getting what we need. Because that's one of the things I heard you say was he can't, he couldn't give me what he, he can't give me, he, you know, and I... I think that's what it is, is right now I am not getting what I need. And I know you and I've had conversations and there got a, there was, you know, it's like, don't worry about what he can't do in the future. Is he giving, and we talked about this years ago, right? Remember we talked about the whole withdrawals and deposits in the bank account, thinking of a relationship like a bank account. Absolutely. Yep. Um, absolutely. So, you know, the accountant in me has to take it that way. But, um, Right. Explain that, will you, real quick? Will you explain that? Yeah. So in a, our checking accounts, we get our paycheck from work and we deposit our money and our, our bank account increases. And which is what happens in a relationship. If I'm getting what I need and I'm getting supported and I'm having help around the house, my partner is depositing into our relationship. Now, what happens when I spend money? I'm withdrawing things from that bank account. And the goal is I don't want to go and I cannot go below zero. Because if I go with below zero, I don't, there's nothing there, right? So in a relationship, all those times or the times I'm not getting what I need, Right, I'm taking that, I'm taking a withdrawal from that. And something's being taken from me in a way. And I have to monitor to make sure my deposits 
stay greater than my withdraws. But what happens when I'm down to a penny in my bank account? So the only thing I want to change in what you're saying is instead of saying I have to make sure, we're talking about a relationship. So it's a we have to make sure, right? Because not one person can make sure that the relationship stays in the positive. Yes, yes. But I think that's one of those things that people, that we do, that it ha or that not we do, but we ha that happens is it becomes separate bank accounts. Instead of this is our bank account, but the problem where that, like, but that takes two parties to put things in. And that means two parties are taking out, right? That doesn't mean he is putting in or he is taking out, but at the same time, you also have to have your own bank account, right? Because I need to be able to monitor what I am getting and what I'm not getting. Because if I don't know what I'm getting and what I'm not getting, how am I supposed to be able to contribute to our joint account? Right. So positive times in the relationship is like a deposit. Negative times in the relationship is like a withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to always stay above zero yep, and just like any other bank account right just like a regular bank account i would say um the lower closer we get to zero the more anxiety we feel yes. the more disruption we feel and the further away from zero in the positive the more confident and happy and easier things are right because when you have money sitting in your savings account and you get close to, to zero in your checking account Right. Ooh, that doesn't feel the greatest. It sucks that I'm got. You know, I got that close to zero, but it's okay because right, I have enough in saved to be able to pull from while I'm going through this 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 tight patch. I would like to picture this like as we're talking about this, I'm picturing this as like an emotional energy cup, right? The when the relationship is struggling and the emotional energy is low and we are in our control patterns like we were just talking about, then um, I pull from my savings, right? I pull from my personal account and I give that to the relationship. Yes. But then if my personal account is on one or two dollars and the relationship account is at negative 15, there's nothing to pull from. And I think that's when we typically tend to fall into these control patterns because it is too scary to picture what it's going to look like without that account, right? If I, if I just close the account or I end the relationship and I'm done with it or I move on or whatever, it's just... It's a grief process. It's a whole, that's why people do control because control, if I can control this, then I will keep me safe. I won't have to feel that negative yicky feelings or go through that yicky situation. So I become controlling so that I can stay in this safe situation and have it be the way I think I need it to be. At least that's what I did. Yeah, uh, you know, 
I think going back to what you were, you know, you were saying about the, when I emotionally am, have kind of reached my limit, I was thinking about, we talk about relationship, people will say relationships are 50-50. Relationships are not 50-50. Absolutely not. A relationship, in all honesty, is 100%. One hundred and one hundred. Each yes. person but must give a hundred. Individually. But in a whole, together, it's still only a hundred percent. The difference is, is today I might be able to give 80 percent, but tomorrow I only have 30 percent to give. That means I need that other person to step up with the 70 percent. Because, right, hundred is it. We have a hundred together and we have a hundred individually. Can't have more than 100%. But yeah. I might be individually at 50%. So I can't come into the relationship with more than 50%. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt, it does. So I think there's where... Like that's just another way kind of to look at it outside of the bank account. It's 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 about what can I give? What do I have to give today? And maybe there's a day that we both don't have a 50 or all of it to give to make up to the 100 percent. Maybe today is a day that we only have 80 percent together. But that's OK, because right what we've done up until this point where we both had put 100% in, it's okay to have 80% today because right, I can we can still rely on what we had. Now, let's say today's 80%, tomorrow's 80%, the next day's 79%, the next day's 78, 75, 60, right? We start, then what happens? I mean, eventually we're all at zero and there's nothing left to pull from and it falls apart. Exactly. So which leads into my other question I had for you. You said about having all these feelings and the control patterns where codependents often and right, we're hanging on to that rope so tightly and you know, not wanting to like if we put it down, it's just gonna shatter. At what point do we realize it is easier to put down the rope? Because really, in all honesty, everything that you were feeling and you've been going through over the last few weeks, the last week, right, was harder than just putting down the rope. I I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I agree with that because putting down the rope means accepting defeat. It means accepting that this is not what I wanted it to be. This is not what I thought it was. I am doing to myself, right? Like nobody else is holding this rope except for me and my hands are bleeding and I am pointing my fingers at you for making my hand bleed, but you're not even touching the rope. There's Putting the down thing. the rope. Me That's the thing right there. Yes, because right, putting down the rope means accepting that I have been doing this to myself all along. 
I have been putting myself through this. It means accepting all of those feelings that I was clenching so tightly to that rope to avoid feeling. So I, I don't know that it's easier, honestly. It lasts less time, right? It takes, it's, we work through it much faster because we are making forward progress. And I don't know if it's easier. So a couple things you said one the first thing you said was accepting defeat you were like that's putting down the rope is accepting defeat why does it have to putting down the rope mean that you have to accept defeat why are you defeated you didn't lose defeated from because you're not getting what you wanted whatever it is that you were clinging so tightly to and you finally let it go like you're you're not getting what it is that you thought you wanted. I am not getting what I was holding so tightly to. And because my daddy didn't raise no quitter, to accept that I am not going to get it feels, it feels like a failure. But it's not. Right? Those are those thought Logically, patterns. Right, and, and logically, I know that, right? Logically, I know and I agree that there is no failure. And yet, the feelings don't change, right? Just because we know we didn't do anything wrong doesn't mean we don't feel guilt. Doesn't mean we don't feel shame. Just because I know that I had reached the point where I needed to put down that rope to let go of that, it, it doesn't mean that I wanted to let go of it. It doesn't mean that I don't long for it sometimes, right? It doesn't mean that I don't miss the idea and the story of what it was going to be. The other thing you said was when you were talking about hanging on to the rope, my hands are bloody, all of that, that they had put down the rope, but you're still clinging to that rope and making your hands bloody. Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really think very long about that statement when I said it. Um, I, I guess in that aspect, I'm saying that it it wasn't anybody else tugging on that rope or making me hold on to it and my hands hurting, right? It was my choice to hold so tightly and whether or not they were standing at the other end holding the, the same rope, I was choosing to hold on to it and, and it was hurting me. It's that, what's interesting about that is you think about tug rope. That's exactly where it comes from, right? I right? think that's where that analogy comes from. But think about when you're holding on to a rope and you're hanging on for dear life to right. And so you have one person at the other end, one person at, you know, you're on one end, the other person's on the other and you're pulling and the rope is tight and there's balance because nobody one right. There is some back and forth, but right for the most part, if you guys stood still, there should be balance as long as you have similar strength. Yes. Bloody hands. You are painting a very vivid picture in my mind, if you don't know. Uh -huh. I know. Yep. That's, 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 a, that's a good analogy. I like this one. Do you get bloody hands when 
two people are hanging and pulling equally? Say yes. No. No. You do. If it is. You think about it. Your hands are going to get, you're hanging on so tightly because you're trying to maintain that that's balance. That's true, actually. Then your hands get raw. That's true. And bloody. When the other person lets go, what happens to you? You drop on your ass. Exactly. No bloody hands. Not a sore ass. Right? So the analogy is we need to have, when we are in a relationship with someone, we should be of equal strengths. And this is going to go right on into in recovery. We should be in of equal strengths, hanging on bloody hands for dear life. And it doesn't matter if our hands are shredded. As long as both people are hanging on to the rope. And then that rope. Yeah, I, I um, I don't. I don't know if that is the way I picture that analogy so much as um, there was a rope, more like a jump rope, and each okay. person had one end, and we were both walking on a path, maybe walking together down the road, each holding on to one end, mm-hmm. um, and then one person tugs a little, and so you pull them back, and then they tug a little more, and so you pull them back, and as they pull and you pull you begin to get bloody hands um, and then they just keep pulling and pulling and pulling and instead of letting go of the rope, you keep pulling back. So to um, me, what I hear, we still use the tug of, war, tug of war example. So now you have two people of different strengths. Some The person you are trying to balance this rope and each other with one is stronger and I'm not saying stronger in a right I'm not really using the whole right they're using more muscle they're pulling harder right they are yes right Uh, okay you and I right I think I have 100 pounds on you because you're so dang little (laughs) we go to a tug of war we go into a tug of war all I need to do is really honestly get put my body weight behind one really good pull and I'm gonna Mm -hmm. pull you forward Mm mm-hmm Right, that is not an equal tug of war competition. Correct, and right. So that's where you were going with the in recovery portion. Is we develop relationships with others based on equality, yes. intimacy, and balance. <laughs> yep. So right, that's a key factor when I talk about the relationship that I'm talking about I don't know that that relationship ever began based on equality intimacy and balance I can't say whether it did or not I, I, I haven't given it enough thought to think about the very very beginning um, what I can say is that as that relationship developed equality intimacy and balance completely disappeared um, and that was the fight was to get those things back I think that's an interesting point, what you're saying. And I think we don't do that. And I know in reality, I did not do that with relationships. Was looking at the beginning of the relationship in the start of a relationship or in a situation where I've been in in a, you know, a relationship for a while, started recovery and trying to maintain this relationship is 
evaluating what the beginning was. I think that's important because if you started off not on level ground with the other person being on that level ground with you, right now, and I'm not saying as lesson, the person is lesson because I do not believe that. I mean, right, they just weren't at the same level you were. Right, it's just different levels. It's right. not a better or a worse. It's just different. Right, because there are other people on that person's level, just like there are other people on my level. The problem that I did was I always picked people not on my level. And Right, so I think in saying that is... Sorry. Um, no, you're good. Go. Go ahead. No, go, go. I think in saying that is that the intentionality behind as the relationship is developing, as it is forming, we have to intentionally decide if this is based on equality, intimacy, and balance before we are so deep that we can barely swim. People don't like when I say this, but a relationship should be considered like a business. Not, right, there's feelings, there's emotions, right? But would you go in, would you start a business if you knew you were going to be in the red for the next six years, seven years? There was absolutely not, never. But I would absolutely start a relationship again knowing that it was in the red. How hard is it to get it out of the red? I mean, let's, an easier question is how hard is it to maintain the black? Right? It's almost impossible to get it out of the red exactly. if it starts in the red. Right. Like, I mean, like 50% of marriages end in divorce and they're usually not starting in the red. So, right, if it's that hard to just maintain, yeah. why would we intentionally start negative? We wouldn't. And so many people do not look at relationships that way. It is simply, oh, I fell in love. Well, what are, what, what are the transactions? Like, what needs to happen? Right. What are the requirements in order for me? What, he likes me? He's interested? Is that the only one? It I was said for me. this a while back, right? Right, My first husband, I married him because I had my first orgasm with him. Like, right. What? what? Really? What? What, are the, what are the requirements in order to do these transactions with me? I have not had any in the past. Yeah, me either. So in recovery, I find and use resources that meet my needs without making demands on others. I ask for help when I need it without expectation. I pick up the phone and I call someone when I need to talk. Someone who is available. And if they're not available, I don't get frustrated, irritated, and angry because they're not available. But do you... Okay, so... Would you, do you call your mom or do you no. call, okay, why wouldn't you, like, why wouldn't you call your mom? And no, no nothing says, I love your mom. Like, right, that, that's, why, why wouldn't you call your mom? Um, I, if I needed 
emotional intimacy and emotional support or if I needed help I would not call my mother because she doesn't tend to do well in giving me what I need in those moments not that she doesn't try because I love her and she absolutely does try to give me the support I need but we just we are on different levels Mm -hmm. what I need is different than what she has the ability to give right now um so I wouldn't go to the hardware store for milk right but you could reach out to someone in recovery would you right would you reach out to someone that's 20 years old that's never been married with no children and in recovery no why no Because I am 40 years old, have been married once and with someone for 17 years and have three children. They've never been through what we have been through. They've never done what we have done. If I was going to reach out to someone to help me through this, I would want to reach out to someone who has been through this. Right, right. Right? If, If you've walked it once, if you've already walked that path one time, then you have a better knowledge of me better knowledge than me of the path if you have never walked that path and you're half my age and you have half of the life experience then not that you can't possibly help me on that path because there's a lot you can add to the path but I'm not going to specifically call you to ask you to give me directions on the path because you've never been on the path right we've talked about me coming to you with dating advice and When's the last time you dated? Right. Right? I mean. I mean, would you call, would you, like, like if you were, I wouldn't call um, someone that lives in North Carolina to ask them how to get to Venice, Florida. <laughs> right. You Like, it, they would be like, what do you, I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't live there. Why would you ask me? I've never been there before. Yeah. You, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call someone that has never been to the grocery store and ask them how to get to the grocery store. Why would I call someone that has never been married and divorced and had kids to ask them how to walk through that path? Right. We have to, we have to, um, use the resources that meet our needs, not the resources that are easy to find. A hammer is not going to screw in a screw. I love that. That's the, right? I mean, I can try. I've been creative, right? I've used a butter knife. But is it as effective as a screwdriver? No. It has to be the perfect size screwdriver because if it's big, then it slips. And, right, it's, there's a reason we have the tools that we have. Some fit better. Some are more useful. One of the biggest and most important tools that we have that we rarely use is our authenticity. Ah, yeah. Our integrity. Um, Making what I think, feel, and want on the inside match what I am doing on the outside. And that doesn't mean that every thought I have to act on, every feeling has to matter. But when I sit down and I ask myself what my core beliefs are, 
who do I want to be? And then I look at how am I behaving if my actions and my behaviors do not match who I want to be, then I am not living with integrity and I am not being authentic. And if I am lying about who I am when I am presenting myself to people, how can I ever expect that to be positive? Because in reality, if I'm lying to someone else about who and what and what I am, like, right, if, I, if I'm not honest with someone about who I am, I'm probably not being honest with who I am to myself. Absolutely. Um, so in recovery, I behave authentically with others, allowing my caring and compassionate qualities to emerge. So what do you, like, what does this mean? Because, like, I'm trying to relate this to a relationship, Right. Well, I'm just getting to, let's say I'm getting, you know, I'm going out into the dating world and I'm just getting to know someone for the first time, right? Because that's what we're trying to establish here is how do I get, how do I get on equal ground? I gotcha. I knew you did. I got a really, really easy one for you. We actually talked about it on this podcast a few months ago. For 16 years, I let Nick believe that I enjoyed falling asleep with him rubbing my arm or my back. The truth is, it made it very difficult for me to fall asleep. I was not authentic with that, right? That's an easy one. That's something so small. But I couldn't say, hey, please don't rub my back right now. It makes it hard for me to fall asleep because I was afraid that that would hurt his feelings somehow. If I am not being authentic with what I want and what I need, how can I possibly expect my partner to give me what I want and I need? Were you, and we talked about this, so definitely check, go back and check out that podcast. I can't tell you which one it was, but were you rude when you said it? Did you like, God, that's so annoying. Will you stop it? No, not at all. I actually had to tell him in the middle of the day when we were having a great time one day, I just had to be like, hey, I, I know that you've, I know that I led you to believe that it makes me fall asleep better. And I know that you love to get your back rub to fall asleep. But could you please not do that? I don't, I just don't, it makes it harder for me to fall asleep. Um, and then I had to be patient and compassionate and remind multiple times that it wasn't what I wanted because it was a habit. And I had spent... 15 or 16 years letting him think that's what I wanted, it was going to take more than a year or two for him to remember that it wasn't. But you said that you were, like, I'm sure he did it the night before, but you waited until the middle of the day, right? Why didn't you just say something then, right in the moment when it was happening? Because if I'd have said it in the moment, I would have sounded like I would have had a tone. I would have had emotions inside of me frustration or irritation because I was having trouble falling asleep and I didn't want to be aggressive but isn't his feelings his they are but I also want to be considerate oh you want to so, be caring and compassionate yes that is important to me um to be caring and compassionate and and right 
behaving authentically, maybe instead of saying something, I could have just rolled over and faced the other direction. But then that might have hurt his feelings too, because then he would have been wondering why I was distancing myself and what he did wrong. And that's not intentional. That's manipulation. Oh, let me roll over so he can get get the, the hint. Instead of being true to myself, my authentic self, and be able to use my words in a healthy manner. Correct. So I wasn't at a place where I could in the moment kindly, compassionately, caringly say, hey, could you please not do that? So I chose not to do anything until the next day when next time when we were having a good moment and we were in a good place and I could just ask nicely. So it's okay to to be able to say, stop this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to note this. This is something I want to reflect on and come back to and be able to come back at another time to be able to express what I need. Not only is it okay, but it is ideal. It is healthy. It is the way to do it if I don't want my emotions and my attitude to take control of what I am saying. That for me, oh my God. Like that was another whole, a new freedom was realizing that I could just stop, not say anything, table it, think about it, and then come back at a different place. It was so much less stressful. And ask directly. Yes. Come back at a different place and <sighs> ask directly for what I want and need and trust the outcome to my higher power. I do not manipulate outcomes. Exactly. Oh my God. I that like that is such an amazing feeling. It's right, it's hard. I'm not gonna say it's not hard in the beginning. It takes practice. But man, to be able to like notice it, not feel it and let it get all yucky and just be like, okay. I'm it gonna... is really the best thing ever. Oh God, it is. Okay. So, so. that's the next um, in recovery pattern is in recovery, I ask directly for what I want and need and trust the outcome to my higher power. I do not try to manipulate outcomes with blame or shame. So how, okay, so right, I understand the, I directly ask for what I need and want and trust the outcome to my higher power, but my higher power isn't, like, he's not in my relationship. He can't, he's not here to, to, to deal with the issues that I deal with. Oh, honey, your higher power is in every relationship and is here. Uh, at least my higher power. So I can't speak for you. I can't speak for your higher power. But my higher power loves every single person that I love and wants the absolute best for every single person that I love and has a knowledge that I can't possibly grasp and is involved in every aspect of my life and the life of of those I love, whether or not they think so. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you. You know that. And I, a lot of these questions I ask facetiously to uh, just promote conversation. Yes, exactly. And I know there are people out there that I don't think I'm 
making this stuff up in my own head. I'm sure there are people out there that think the same way at times. Oh, I used to be one of them. Same here. Same here, right? This comes, I'm asking questions that I used to, yeah, that I would have asked forever ago. So, um, so what is a conversation for you? What does it look like to just trust your higher power? It looks like chaos some days. Um, for me, a conversation, I don't know about a conversation where I would just trust my head. So, trying to find an example for that is difficult in this moment um for me it looks like living life on life's terms it looks like seeing someone's behaviors and taking those behaviors in and then intentionally choosing what feels right for me even if I don't like it and going with it, even when it's hard. I think you have a perfect example, and it's this week. Right? You made a choice on something you did not, was not the ideal choice for you, but you trusted it's the best choice for you. So, yeah, I mean, so I realized that what I want and need is emotional intimacy. I need a connection to the person that I love, to the person that I sleep with every night. I need emotional intimacy. Um, Conversation. It could be conversation about nothing. It could be conversation about the stars or aliens or what gods we believe in. It doesn't matter what the conversation is, but I need that conversation um and I told my higher power I asked my higher power to please help me find a way to get that (laughs) um and in the end I was directed to walk away from that relationship I was directed to put the rope down I was guided to tell somebody who I love with my whole entire heart that I cannot be with him anymore. Um, It's not about anger. It's not about blame. It's not about somebody did something wrong. And I didn't want to do it. I don't like it. I don't I don't want this, right? I don't want the end of a 17-year relationship. I don't want to be single. I don't want to not go fishing with Nick every weekend that we possibly can. I don't want to not have the laughter and the jokes and the love. Like, I don't want this. And... I know what I need in order for me to be okay. So I had to make a choice to either support myself and trust my higher power that I was going to be okay or 
turn away from what I needed and accept what I could get. I think the best way gonna... to sum this up for you, for what I'm hearing, is you love Nick very much, but you just love yourself a little bit more. I have a smile right now because um, it's the first time I've heard it put that way. And yeah, I mean, I love Nick with all of my heart. I, I don't want to imagine my life without him. I cannot imagine my life without him. And I love myself more. I need myself. I need to be happy in my heart. Even if that means not having him. Yeah, I just love myself more. I uh, Next one. I cooperate, compromise, and negotiate with others in a way that honors my integrity. That's what I'm doing right now. You know, I could come on this podcast and I could talk about how this is all his fault and he can't do this and he can't do that, but... Nick is an amazing man. I loved him. I still love him. For 17 years, I fought to be in his life. I fought to be in his heart. Not because he's a bad guy. To talk badly about him wouldn't do anything except hurt my heart. It would... Like, it would be condescending and critical and inconsiderate and dishonest it would be allowing my hurt and my anger to take over um, and it doesn't mean those feelings aren't there but even with those feelings I can still cooperate compromise and negotiate in a way that I can be proud of when I look back on myself in six months or a year I can treat others with with respect and consideration and trust that my higher power will meet my needs. I don't need him to meet my needs. I don't need Nick to be my white knight. My higher power is my savior, not this man who I demanded love me the way I wanted to be loved. So what is helping you get through this? Faith, faith, integrity, authenticity, being intentionally accountable to my own self. I need to be able to look myself in the mirror. I need to love myself. I need to be happy with my own actions. And if I am being anything other than loving, kind, considerate, and caring, then I can't do those things. I can't look myself in the mirror and be happy with my own actions. So faith in my higher power and integrity and love for myself, that's what's getting me through this. And how has recovery been a part of this? It's been so amazing. It has been so freaking weird. 
to be able to see the hurt to be able to feel the pain and feel the anger and feel the loss and to be able to feel all of those things and still choose how to act in the moment it's almost like it's almost like a disassociation without disassociating I can see myself for the first time in my entire life I can see myself and how I am acting and behaving and I can acknowledge whether or not I like what I am doing and whether or not I want to change what I am doing like I've never been able to do that before it was like I was on autopilot one foot in front of the other I feel this emotion I behave this way I say this I regret it later and now, while yes, that has happened a time or two, I just had to apologize this morning because I did that. But for the most part now, I am able to just look at what I'm doing and evaluate whether or not that is how I want to behave. So you're using your recovery for your own growth and not to manipulate or control others. I am more than I ever have in my life and it's been amazing so of all these recovery the recovery side this last one I would actually modify it a little bit and I want to know if you see the same thing I see Obviously, we're recording, so I can't give you forever. Right, no, sorry. If I I had to guess, I would say that you are about to say I use my recovery for growth. Nope, the last one. I'm talking about the last one. Oh, my communication with others is authentic and truthful. Yes. Yes. How would I change that one? There's something I would change in it. Not even change. I would add to My communication with myself. Yes. Yes, right. My communication with others and myself is authentic and truthful. And I want to add one to the second to last one that we just talked about, too. I use my recovery for my own growth and not to manipulate or control others. In doing this podcast today, I'm realizing it is not just for my growth to be this vulnerable in this moment and to share these things that I have shared tonight. I hope and pray that someone can take something out of this and use it for their growth as well. We have been given, we've taken a platform. I'm not going to say we've been given, but we have, right? We've given, we're taking a platform to give back what we are, we've been given. For the first time in my life, I can say that my communication, 100% of my communication, is authentic and truthful. And I, I don't know, I lied to myself for so long that I don't know if I could have said that ever in my life since I was a very young child. You know, I can say whatever I want to say to other people, right? I'm very, you know, it's, it's, 
I can use clear and concise communication, but there are times when I will be sitting or doing something and those thoughts come into my head. And I know you had a situation this morning, right? That you had to have a, a conversation with yourself because in reality, my brain loves a good story. My brain loves, I mean, it'll hang on to a great story. And what we mean by a story will be in another podcast, but basically the story that I've told myself of what the outcome of something should be, what it's going to look like in the, you know, down the road or what it will look like in the, you know, what I think it's my perception of what I think it should look like. But I have to be able to authentically and truthfully look at the story I'm telling and be able to bring myself back to this moment, to the reality, to the, to the truth. The story is easy. The story is fun. The story is always beautiful. I've told the, my stories have always not been what I thought they would be. And there is grief around it. There is mourning that has to happen with that. And that's okay. But I have to be able to, to tell myself that, you know what, Dawn? It's okay that you have that story. But we know that story is not real. I know that story is not real. But I do, and I do that through a loving, just like I would do it with you. I'm going to do it in a loving way. I think that's one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves in times of stress or happiness all the time, anytime, is just to have an intentional, loving conversation with ourselves. Let our thoughts come and answer them. That's what I did this morning. I stood in the mirror and I cried and I talked to myself looking like if somebody was outside watching me, <laughs> I, I would have looked like a freaking idiot. Like a thought would come and I would follow it up with the words, statements, respond to it. And then I would think something in response. Like I literally had a conversation out loud and in my head with myself. Were you looking at yourself in the mirror? I was. Right. Because you were literally having a conversation with yourself. I think that's one of the, the a mirror is such a wonderful tool to be able to have a conversation with ourselves. Right. Looking, looking someone, me, in the eyes and be able to put authenticity and truthfulness back at myself directly in my eyes. I think that's a great place right there. Um I, thank you so much, Dawn, for today and for this podcast specifically. Um, I, I I needed it, and I have gotten growth out of it for sure. I know this was um, a hard one for you. I know it was. Oh, damn. I cried earlier, and now I'm going to – oh, man. Um, I know it was a hard one. I want to – Thank you for your authenticity. I know that shit was not easy. Right? It's hard to put our business out there. It's hard just to accept it ourselves sometimes. Yeah. Um, 
this is growth. That's what this looks like. That's what this is. That's what I need. That's what I want. Uh, and that's what I'm doing is growing. If we're not growing, we're dying. Um, so thank you, everyone. Let's continue to grow together. Yeah. Next week, we're going to do avoidance patterns, which is I'm kind of, in, I, I, again, like we were saying, HP is just spot on um, to the timing. So we'll look at avoidance patterns and ways that we could avoid things in our lives. And I think, you know, sadly, the situation you're in right now is a great um, thing where you could have avoided a lot of things. Um, and so we'll look at what avoidance, um, how that's played a lot factor in your life and my life. Well, heck, maybe next week I'll be like, yeah, look at me. I did all of this stuff good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. Because I definitely didn't avoid. But I think the one thing about it is I don't want to always be in the in recovery. I don't want to be there all the time. Because well, if I, we are, we're not growing. Exactly. And we got to grow. That's it. All, All right, right, Ashley. <laughs> Have a great one. Bye, everyone. Bye. We would like to thank you for joining us on this journey of self-discovery. Visit the Work It website at workityouareworthit.com to submit your questions and topics for future episodes. And remember, work it because you are worth it.